The Natural Highs program is a community built off the youth leaders and the youth who participate in it. Brain chemistry is sort of the foundation of Natural Highs. We talk about feelings, <laughs> Natural Highs, and habits and rituals. So we hear a lot from kids who participate in our programs that they have never received any of this information, you know, not in schools, not in any other programs, uh, and certainly not in drug prevention programs. And so we'd like to bring the information that we think would make a difference to people at the age where they need it the most. I think a lot of people would quit drugs if they knew what Natural Highs taught. Um, I think a big part of that is that Natural Highs teaches you how to feel good on your own without the use of substance, and I feel that once people know that, they make the switch. Hey, my name is Bo, and this is your, this Badass Sober Life podcast with Natural Highs. Uh, I'm a peer mentor. You probably heard me from the first episode I did with Avani. I did a little interview with her, and now... I have Aaron Huey, who is a, he runs Byron Mountain Treatment Center, and he's been super influential in this area. And I've known Aaron for, I don't know, a while, because when I was a little kiddo, super short, like, I don't know, like eight years old, he um, taught me karate in Boulder. And it was one of the most fun experiences of my life, because I was a little homeschool kid, didn't really meet other people. And here's this badass ripped dude who's super cool and really relates to me and is like teaching me all these cool things. Um, and then, yeah, he's had some connection to my family. He's helped some of my siblings through some hard times. And I'm really, really happy to be here talking. Hey, Aaron. How's it going, Bo? It's great to see you again, dude. Yeah, it's really good to see you. I've always wanted to connect with you and what you're doing at Fire Mountain. So, um, yeah, let's get a little bit of background. What's your, I know you have uh, quite the childhood and juvenile experience. Uh, What's that about? Yeah, you know, um, I, you know, before you and I met, which you know, uh, eight, eight years ago, or or you're you're eighteen now, nineteen now. I'm sixteen, just 16 turned. Now. So eight years ago, yeah. uh, I saw my martial arts school down in uh, in Boulder. I was oh, teaching Sun Tzu Kung Fu and uh, um, uh, uh, a, a few different styles, uh, some forms of karate being being one of them. So that's where we met. But prior to that. Uh, you know, I grew up in Longmont, Colorado, yeah. and my had a great I had a great mom and dad. Um, uh, my mom was my bio mom. My dad was not my bio dad. I actually never met my bio father, and uh, he was an alcoholic uh, who who uh, much later in life died from liver failure of lifelong alcoholism and stuff. Um, started using drugs when I was 12 years old. Uh, when I went to uh, acting school after squeaking by in high school, barely making it out, teachers passing me on without me having to get grades at all, practically. Um, when I was in acting school in California, I was sexually assaulted by my best friend. Um, having been bullied in school, growing up without a father, being sexually assaulted uh, by my best friend when I was older, those things adding up and having had drugs uh, uh, mostly marijuana introduced to me at uh, the age of 12. Those things added up and they don't always add up well. Uh, when I left California, came back to Colorado, uh, decided I wanted to be a cop, never put a pause on drug use. And in fact, it, it got worse and steadily more habituated. Uh, lost my job uh, as a security officer right before I was going to take the test for the Denver Police Department. 
fled to the mountains uh, where I became a, a dealer and a grower and all kinds of stuff. Everything that I thought was the right thing to be, but really at that time I should have been a father because I did have a daughter. I should have been a husband because I was married and I should have been uh, an employee because I had bills to pay and I had to, but instead marijuana was a, a major focus in my life. Uh, LSD came big into my life at that time and so did alcohol. And in 1998, uh, my life changed significantly. Everything I thought was important wasn't, and everything that I had traded for what I thought was important suddenly was lost to me, and I had to really work hard to get it back. Uh, and that began my path of sobriety. Uh, May 21st, 1998 was the last time I've ever touched alcohol, any kind of drug, um, and I uh, just celebrated 22 years of sobriety. And in that time, had the opportunity to start and fail at many businesses, one of which um, the martial arts school you went to, kids camps, and then teen rights of passage programs, which led into working with kids who were really struggling and beginning to coach them and coach their parents, which ultimately led to opening a residential treatment center for teens ages 12 to 17. And uh, last year in 2019, we were named one of the top 50 healthcare providers in the United States. Uh, I've got my own podcast, Beyond Risk and Back, and it's a podcast for parents whose kids are struggling. And if the kids are struggling, it means the parents are struggling. And so I work a lot with parents now on just how to change the family, change the kid, uh, change the household, change the family, change themselves so their kids find a good place to change because just wanting to change kids is never enough. So that's been my life in a nutshell. Um, homeless, uh, living at the East Boulder Rec Center where you know where that is, mm -hmm. in the back of my truck, to uh, having one of the top 50 healthcare companies in the United States. So it's been a pretty awesome ride. It's been the greatest trip, much better than any LSD trip I was ever on. And uh, the high of being happy without uh, being high, that's, that's been a 22 year long lesson because the bottom line was when I was high, I was happy. And when I was sober, I was sad. So why would I want to be sober? It's because I needed to be high by uh, uh, facing my problems and doing the hard work and being high on life naturally uh, instead of drugs where I had to get sober and I didn't want to. So I just got high on drugs again. You know, there's a, it's a big, it's a big mind game, but that's been, that's been the last uh, 22 years of my life is figuring out how to do this without drugs. And it's, it's a trip. Wow. That is a life in a nutshell. Um, so I, I have a question when it sound, I've heard you talk because to prepare for this podcast, I actually listened to your podcast. Then about 20 episodes in, I realized that, I wasn't just listening to prepare anymore. I loved what you were talking about on there. And it was giving me a really deeper insight into how my parents felt and how, how hard it was to raise me. Yeah. And my question is, I've made some questionable choices in my days. And I, when I'm asked for a reason, I can't give it. Yeah. And you took, from what I've heard of your life, you had amazing parents and you took a hard turn at like 18. So, do you, now that you're older and you have more perspective, do you know what caused to that? You know, I, sometimes that whole conversation is like a chicken and an egg conversation. And regardless of what caused it, the recovery always looks the same. 
I mean, I had great parents. I had a mom who was very progressive, very understanding, did things very differently than her parents did them. And I had a dad who was such a, an ethical, hardworking, uh, loving. He was very affectionate with me. He said, I love you. He, he kissed, he, he held me, he came to every hockey game and every play I was in and every, like he was always there, but he wasn't my father. He was my dad. So I got the component of feeling ab abandoned, right? There's also that I was very ADHD. And ADHD, being ADHD is one of the three kind of pillars of addiction. There's, you know, behavioral disorders, ADD, um, bipolar, and uh, borderline personality disorders are really are, are, are precursors to addiction. So there was that. Then I was also traumatized by being sexually assaulted at 18 years old by my best friend. Um, you know, so these things can add up and sometimes it's just in the genetics because all my biological brothers and sister struggle with drugs and alcohol. Um, so so the, the question is always, you know, how did it start? How did it start? And so many therapists look for that. Well, where did this start? What happened to you? Sometimes you just got high and getting high made you go, oh my God, like I don't have knots in my belly. Oh my God, like I'm the life of the party. Oh my God, like I'm relaxed for once. I'm not depressed. Um, music is awesome. Colors are awesome. Like, like life, the cartoons are funnier. And so you do it again and then you do it again. And then, you know, pretty soon that just becomes a path you travel until it's the only path. I look at maladaptive coping strategies the same way when it snows and all the snow melts, which way does the water run down the hill? You can look at a mountain and see which way the water runs down the hill. Why? Because that pattern of snow melting and going that way repeats itself. And every time it repeats itself, it makes the pattern more of a pattern. Like, like it carves the path. So pretty soon you got the water running down the Grand Canyon and someone says, you're making bad choices. Man, this is the only choice I can make. So I say it was because I was sad, but I also had mental health issues. I also had environmental issues. So at the end of the day, I don't know if that matters as much, you know, like what did, what did Eric B and Rakim say? It's not where you're from, it's where you're at. And sometimes that's where you just got to focus is, well, I'm here now. I can deal with how I got here later. But right now, do I like me? Do I like this? Is this, my life is here. I wish it was over there. Maybe I should put the bong down, you know, and, and go see what life is like over there. And, and so, yeah, I don't know where it happened or when it happened, but I do know that there was one day I woke up and the most important thing in my life was weed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really get that. Like have, having conversations with my parents, they're asking me for this reason, this reason. Why did you do that? And I feel like the reason is that I didn't have the skills to do it right. That was the reason. And is that I just wasn't at that place. So yeah. So <laughs> leading in the next question. So you're teaching other people those skills now. I, so hmm, how do I want to phrase this so, at fire mountain? Like, what is your, like, what is the dream goal there? Because I know it started off with you just taking kids in your house and yeah. I, I don't know. What's that process been like for you? 
Well, it's been a, again, that's been a trip because it really did just start with a, a, a parent whose kid had come to a rite of passage program of mine as saying, can my kid just come live with you, do martial arts with you, do online school? And my wife and I were like, okay. And then she told her friend who told her sister who called and said, can mine come too? And we were like, yeah. And then pretty soon I had six kids in a house and four on a waiting list. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what is this man? Like parents really need help. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that gets refined because you have to become registered by the state. And so you have to do policies and then you start working with insurance so that families can afford recovery. Recovery is very, very expensive. You asked what my goal is. And I'm 50 years old now. My goal is to help keep kids out of recovery. Because, I mean, there, bottom line, there, there's a point that you can hit where you need, not your parents want you, not your parents made you, not the counselor said you should, you need a residential program so you can get your shit back together. You need a break from life, you need a break from school, you need a break from your parents. You need a break from these things you call friends, and some of them aren't, some of them aren't, you know which ones will matter, in five years and you know which ones won't but you need a break and you need a clean start and you need to be in a place where people go dude i don't care what happened yesterday i'm so glad you're here now and let's check out what we could do next let's let's get some skills let's figure out other ways to handle shit without drugs and alcohol without cutting without having to feel like you have to have sex without running away without porn without uh, uh video games without social media let's handle stuff so that it doesn't haunt you and you gotta bury it so that you can get through the day and what that turned into is me realizing how many skills parents don't have. No parent knows what the hell they're doing. I don't care if that parent has had 12 kids, you're the first time they've had you. And I don't care if that parent is a parenting expert. I'm a parenting expert. Ask my kids how well I did. You're welcome to talk to my son or my daughter. Ask them what it was like growing up with me. They'll give you this shit show. Like, like, that's the honest truth is I'm an expert with other, I'm an expert, I'm a, I'm a parenting expert and I'm a parent. I am very rarely those things at the same time. And so we got to help it. So now my job is to help parents all over the world about to launch a 20 part video series on a global platform because I've been talking a lot in India and Malaysia and Spain, helping families there too, because no parent knows what they're doing. And when their kid starts to struggle, every parent needs help. And so that's the goal now. That's what this has turned into. Started with taking kids into my house and has ended with me with an international podcast and speaking career, helping families all over the world. It's been awesome. And I love helping. I love getting parents to recognize, yeah, your kid can change their behavior, but if you don't change yours, they will change back to the way things were. So if I was a parent and I have a teenager and I don't feel like my teen is at the point where I need to enroll them in a wilderness program like yours, but I want to help them change their lives. I want to help break their addiction. What advice would you give me? 
because obviously well, something I'm doing right now isn't working. So yeah. Yeah, um, that's a great question. First of all, let me clarify, we're not wilderness. We take wilderness trips, we're a residential. Oh. So we actually have a giant facility that the kids live in. Um, but we, we, we did have a large wilderness component back in the day where once a month, the kids would be on a trip for a week. So it's uh, a full-time residential program, yes. but you do a lot of nature-based. We do. Yeah, we've got 40 acres. We do outdoor wisdom and living skills, horticulture, culinary that's farm to table, all kinds of stuff. I understood so, like two of those words, but okay. <laughs> and uh, we work with wolves, which is very cool. So uh, we do a lot of different nature components. Yeah, so really cool. you said something, Bo, that's really important. What, you know, when a, when a parent goes, what I'm doing is not working. Very rarely is a parent rare, ready to admit that. So that's the first thing you do is look at a parent and say, look, what I'm about to say is really going to bust your feelings. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Everything you've done with your kid has gotten you here. So if you want your kid to get somewhere else, you got to change. And that takes a minute for parents to swallow. Not because they don't think they're wrong. Ultimately, they do know that they could do better. I've never found a parent that's been like, oh, I'm perfect. And really, if a parent came along like that to us, we wouldn't work with them because there's no hope for that parent. But when a parent comes to us and says, and they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing this, I'm like, time out. I know what your kid is doing. I got a house full of kids who did that and I did that. I want to know what you're doing. The parent's like, well, I've tried this and we argue about this and, we get, and I start taking my notes on the parent. And I say, well, let's talk about how you argue. Let's talk about how you tell them how they should do things differently. Let's talk about the difference between bad choices and risky choices, because honestly, there are no such thing as bad choices. Everybody makes a choice based on fulfilling a need. And so when we make a choice like using drugs, you're trying to meet one of five needs, safety, power, freedom, connection, and uh, um, uh, growth. Or worth, sorry, not, not growth, worth. Safety, power, freedom, connection, and worth. Those are the five basic human needs. And everything, everything we do, Bo, the fact that you're running a podcast, the fact I'm a guest, is fulfilling one of those needs. And when I say to a parent, why does your daughter cut? Which one of those needs? And they're like, well, freedom. I guess if it, if it releases them from that moment of pressure and pain, I'm like, right. And they're like, and connection, because when they show me the cut, we like, I cry and they cry and, you know, I put band-aids on it. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, and they go to those online chat rooms about cutting. So I guess connection there too. And I say to the parent, I go, stop. The only thing that matters right now is that now you're not blaming your kid and saying your kid's making a bad choice. You're actually trying to discover why that choice is being made. And that makes you a good parent instead of just being angry that they make a choice that you have no control over. So that's how the work with parents starts, is getting them to realize their kids are not bad, they're not making bad choices, they're making dangerous choices, risky choices. Some of these choices could kill them. But when they understand that even suicide is a way of getting a need met, the parents start to change how they react to what their kids do. And that changes what the kids do.
but it's got to start with the parents because it started with the parents at the beginning, right? Your influences lead to your experiences, which lead to your thoughts, which lead to your feelings, which lead to your actions, which lead to your results. Parents get pissed at actions and results, and they don't always consider feelings, thoughts, experience, and influences. Yeah. And so my job is to get parents all the way back to what's been the influence. Your kid's been living you with you for 16 years. Why are they doing this now? And that makes a parent, those are, those are hard. Nobody wants to answer questions like that. Not teens, not parents. But when parents start to, they start questioning their own systems because a child is never broken. A system is broken and a child is struggling within a broken system. And sometimes it's a neurological system, the brain. Sometimes it's an environmental system, the family. And sometimes it's a political system, a school system. Uh, uh, you know, there's lots of systems. So you got to look to the system and parents are, are primarily responsible for the social system. So they have to do the work too. <laughs> I really like that answer, but I have kind of a personal question that relates to this. Sure. So my family has its own history, but there's often been one kid or another who's caused problems with drug usage or so on. And this relates to parents and siblings. And for me, my natural place to go is it's your fault. Everything's fucked up. Yeah. It's just so hard to break away from that idea because in the end, I go to the reasonable, I, I use logic where it's like, you made that choice. You didn't have to. So how do I turn around and how do parents turn around that idea and work in their own head to get rid of that stigma and go, it's not a choice. It's fulfilling those five needs. Yeah. So it's very interesting because number one, and we really live in a time right now where, um, you know, it's so divisive politically and nobody thinks they're the bad guy. And I, I remember a CIA agent saying that years and years ago, is in all of her years as a spy in the field, undercover in some of the darkest governments in the world, she realized that even in these evil regimes, they didn't think they were evil. Nobody thinks they're the bad guy. And so what use is it to try to convince someone that they're the bad guy? And that's where it starts. And you can see it politically. Well, the Democrats are this. Yeah, the Republicans are this. Everybody shut up and look in the mirror just for a minute and really check in with yourself, not on what they're doing and are they of the right side of history, but what are you doing? And are you really in touch with a value system? Because that's where this is going to start. The value system comes from influences. The moment we are blaming someone else for our happiness or unhappiness, we call this the if-then with families. Well, if only Bo would stop blankety-blank, then I could blankety-blank. I would be happy. The family would be happy. If only Bo would just get good grades, then he could get into college. If only if-then. The if-then, the moment you're thinking if-then, you're in stage five of what we call the lizard brain, which is the survival brain, where the only way you're going to be happy if this, the world changes. You'll be safe if the eagle stops hunting you, right? If you're a baby lizard on a rock and you're baking out there in the sun and all of a sudden a shadow falls across you, you only have a lizard brain to work with. 
And that's a survival brain. It's called in science, the limbic brain, right? You guys learn about this in natural highs. Yeah. And that, that limbic brain only has seven abilities, fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, feed, and fester. Mm-hmm. Those are the only seven things a lizard can do. Yeah. And festering is when we're going, God, I can't do anything. I mean, everybody, and so you're just hiding in the shadows now. And so the moment you're in if then is when you expect the world, your parents, your kids to change so that you can be happy. If you don't learn how to take care of yourself first, you will never be happy. You will never have enough to take care of anybody else. It's like giving people an empty cup to quench their thirst from. You have nothing to give if you don't take care of yourself first. Parents don't know how to do that anymore. Women especially really struggle with that because women more than men are taught that they're here to take care of the world and take care of children and take care of their friends and take care of the teacher's feelings. And boys are allowed to be arrogant and they can do whatever they want. Oh, he's just a boy. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the truth is, is that we all forget how to take care of ourselves. And when we prioritize self care, we suddenly realize what we're doing wrong and our happiness becomes our responsibility. And we feel better because we eat healthy food and we exercise and we take time to meditate and be thoughtful instead of just being like, I don't like him and that president and those Congress people and my neighbor and none of that will ever work ever. You will never find happiness in other people's changing and their change schedule. It's never soon enough for you. Yeah, definitely. And that, oh, it's so true because I'm not trying to convince the other person that they're the bad guy. I'm trying to convince myself that they're the bad guy. My parents are trying to convince themselves that the reason I get bad grades is because I'm the bad guy, not because they never taught me a good work ethic. You know, it's always, you can't pull yourself from an equation and say it's the other person's fault. Right, because the equation's not complete if you pull yourself from the equation, right? You're inextractably linked to that whole situation brilliant you can't just look at a single factor and say that's the problem and same with politics and the whole world around us it's not congress's fault it's the whole shit show excuse (laughs) my french we're supposed to be in charge this is a country for the people by the people and then we say the congress people are doing the and the president's doing we're the boss like like do something throw a chair vote do something like print some t-shirts with a slogan on it do something but the moment you sit around waiting for other people to change the life of misery begins you handle it yourself you want happiness you create it now i'm not just talking to, to to some teenager to recognize that their parents are no longer responsible for their happiness because parents do have a responsibility at first when a child's young to protect and when a kid is your age beau to to prepare like like parents are to prepare you for the real world and the way to do that quite frankly and this is something else we teach parents let the kid fail yeah there that i i as much as i hate every failure i've i've had they're the best lessons of my life i don't win and lose i win and learn Because I only lose if I don't learn. And I know that I lose when I blame someone else for winning. But that's the failing, is it's failing with a safety net. It's not just blatant failing. You're failing, but then they're explaining to you why you fail. Because sometimes you can miss it and you can be like, I didn't do anything wrong. So it's that idea that they're teaching you that, oh, 
and yeah. Yeah, there, there is that. And, and I know parents are really good at saying, let me give you 15 reasons why it didn't work when you walked out of your job at Taco Bell. And the, the kid listens halfway through the first reason. And then they just start looking for the holes in the parents' logic, and then they're arguing about something else entirely that probably has nothing to do with either of them, but everybody's just frustrated with themselves. Yeah. Really, the key with parents is shut up. Let them fail. Like, like not, if it's life and limb, if their failures are going to kill them, intervene. Put them in a hospital. Get them in treatment. Call the police. If it's life and limb, a parent must step in and intervene. But if it's not, then quite frankly, we teach parents to shut the hell up. What do you do? The kid comes home and says, I got fired. And the parents know why you got fired. You haven't been showing up on time. You go and you do a half-assed job. You hate your boss. You hate the food. You've been stealing money out of the cash register. You call in sick when you're not. Look, you want to know why parents know all that? Because that's exactly what parents did. That's how we handled our first jobs too. But you come and say, I got fired. My boss is such an asshole. Parents need to shut up there and not be like, oh, well, let's go through all the reasons why your boss is probably being a jerk to you. Just be quiet and go, oh, bummer, what's your plan? Because That's it. So it, much more meaningful when the kid realizes why they did it wrong instead of the parent telling them. It's the same idea with therapy. Don't give them the answer. Allow them to work to the answer. Give them the path. Do you know what, Bo? In, in 20 years of working with parents, 20 years, I have asked every parent, tell me a life lesson you learned from a parent lecture. Tell me one. No parent has ever given me, oh, well, one time my dad sat me down and gave me what for about work ethic and that changed my life. You know how you learn work ethic? You have a shitty ethic and it fails you. And then you discover that having a better ethic is what creates success. And there's only one way to discover that, to fail at your shitty one. Mm -hmm. But no lecture will ever teach you to have a good work ethic. No parent can think of a parental lecture that changed their life, but they can think of a hundred things their parents did or did not do yeah. that changed their life, right? You watch your parents fight and make up. You're like, oh, that's how you make up after a fight. You watch your parents divorce and treat each other like shit for years. You're like, oh, that's what you do with divorce. It's what your parents do and don't do that you learn from. And I will tell you, and parents hate it when I say this, but they don't disagree with me. Everybody listening to this podcast, you will learn your life lessons by tracking your successes and failures and learning from your failures. And then it's not a failure. It's a lesson. Yeah. That's it. That's how it works. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to my old manager last week and he said to me straight up, he's like, I often wonder why I didn't fire you before Corona hit and you got laid off. Like, yeah, that, that is a really good question. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, what's your connection to Natural Highs? Cause you've known about us for a long time and yeah. How, what's your connection to Avani? Well, I tell you what, I've known Avani ever since I started working at September school with my buddy, Jeff Hamilton. Um, so many years ago, first subbing martial arts classes for him, him and I developing a great relationship. Uh, and then Natural Highs used to hold its meetings there, the old uh, tie-dye trippy building that was there on, uh, on uh, 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 Canyon Boulevard. Oh, yeah. And uh, when Natural Highs would have events, sober raves and stuff like that, Jeff and I would be the bouncers at the door. 
because we, you know, our job was, this was a safe place for teens who didn't want to get high and still party. And so there was a party going on side and teens who were high wanted, wanted the best of both worlds, right? In their mind, they wanted to be effed up and they wanted to go hang out and try to influence an environment that they probably secretly desired. And so Jeff and I would stay at the door and someone would walk up baked and we'd be like, nah, -uh, not your party. Or someone would come up and I'd be like, dude, let me check your uh, backpack. Nah, sorry, you're gone. Because we're trying to keep a safe space. Uh, through that and connecting with Avani more and more through the years, um, you know, she, Avani is a trainer of my staff up here at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center. She teaches motivational interviewing to my, uh, my staff up here, my counselors and my direct care staff. Um, uh, I, I've, I've interviewed Avani on the podcast for years. Uh, we talk constantly. Her son, Luca, and I are great buds. Uh, and Avani teaches the parents at my parent weekend. And when she does, her son, Luca, and I go out and throw axes. <laughs> yeah, Luca's awesome. He helps me edit this podcast. He actually does all the editing. He's Luca, Luca, and I know he's gonna, if he's going to help edit this podcast, he's going to laugh when I say that. Either one day I'm going to go visit Luca in his mansion that he bought because he saved the world or his private island where his evil sinister base is and he's taking over the world. <laughs> I can totally imagine that. And Avani's just doing mate circles. Yeah, yeah she'd be like, man, it's Luca. He's smarter than everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. So kind of as a closing question, I'm wondering what if you had one message that you could spread out to the world, what would that be? Wow. I think, I think it's to reiterate, especially right now. I think, I think the message that I would say now is that nobody thinks they're the bad guy. You are wasting so much time and energy trying to convince people that they're on the wrong side when nobody's ready to admit that. You wouldn't. And so what, what better use of time and energy can you spend? You know, what, what can you do with this energy you have? We're so busy arguing about everything and it drives us farther apart. So here's my messer message for everybody. You can't hate the world into something you love. You know, you can't hate yourself into something you love. You can't hate your parents into something you love. You can't hate your teacher, your job into something you love. It, it, that's a, it's, it's painting black on black, right? It's painting, you're, 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 you're painting shadows in the darkness. Like nothing, nothing can be seen there. There's no light there. Separation causes pain. You know, that's, that's our suffering is our separation. This is the time, Bo, for your generation. My generation is still struggling to figure out what's important. We Gen Xers, we, we were the ones who's like, we're not gonna take it. And that song, we forgot the lyrics, man. Like the millennials and, and, and your generation, the Gen Zers, the iGen, you guys, you guys gotta, you, you love more than we do. And, and the adults are still trying to drive things apart. Um, and I don't know what this world's going to look like in 10 years, but it's not going to be this. I don't know if it'll be better and worse, but I can't get there by hating what I have. So that's my one big message. You can't hate the world into something you love. Separation causes pain. 
I mean, I got a lot of little things like we should turn all the railroad tracks into bike lanes so that we can ride our bikes all over the country and the the secretary of the interior should be a Native American. Like, like I got lots of little things like that. But I think at the end of the day is that we can't hate into love. We can't hate our way to love. We have to love our way to love. And that's hard. And that takes work. And that's what you're here to do is do hard work. There's, there's no easy route. And you can't love others unless you love yourself. So, and you can't hate yourself and replace that by loving others. There's just, there's no way around that one. Yeah. There's no way around that one. How many years did it take you to learn that, Aaron Heary? <laughs> uh, how, oh, I said I'm 50, so 51 years. Wow, that's a long time. <laughs> like, like, like we're all six beers short, or seven beers short of a six pack, folks. Like, like the, the comparison game, thinking that somebody out there's got their shit together, that's, Okay, never mind everything I just said. It's not true. Here's my real thing I want the whole world to know. Everybody takes a shit sitting down. We're all human, man. There's no one out there who's got it better or worse. Everybody's got a human thing going on. And then I don't believe in gurus and masters, and I don't want to be that for other people. You'll find your gig, and you'll get turned on by it. And you'll get out there to help as many people as you can and you'll charge for it. And that's business. That's life. Go help someone. And so it's both of them. I never got one thing, Bo. I love the sound of my voice way too much to only have one thing to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll keep none of mine. Um, yeah. I just want to say to you though, like I've seen you talk in my school and I've seen you talk to people in my family and I, I don't know. i I've heard heard people say that they're frustrated by you because you're too loud and too inspired. And I just don't like that. I like how charismatic you are. And I like the fact that you're just you. The essence of you is always there in every conversation I've had and every time I've heard you speak. And it's always able to be seen. And it gives me like a anchor point of like how to interact in the world. Like there's someone who always has their anchor in and is always holding themselves to that. And I can do the same if I work at it. So, yeah. you know, it's never, ever going to be about being better. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be about giving up the struggle to be different from who you are. Mm-hmm. I'm God's caffeine buzz, man. I am, I am Odin's coffee buzz. That is, that is who I am energetically. And I will never, ever apologize for it. And that's where I found my happiness. Yeah. By being Aaron. Just being you, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Aaron. That was super amazing. Wait, let me. So thank you for listening. If you liked this episode of This Badass Sober Life, please subscribe to our channel so that you get uh, notified when the next episode is coming out. If you would like to connect with us, please find everything we do on our website, naturalhighs.org. And there you can also sign up for free notifications, free emails to all of our events, activities. You can also check out our store. We have beautiful guided practices, audios, video courses, and lots of ways uh, how you can be part of the community and donate and uh, support our work 
at the same time. So we'd love to be connected with you. You can find us on Instagram. We are Natural Highs Official on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. We are Natural Highs Community on Facebook. We would love to hear from you. So get in touch with us with your feedback. Uh, if you want to be a guest or have a guest recommendation for this Badass Sober Life podcast, we would love to hear from you. Uh, please send us an email on avani at naropa.edu. And uh, if you would like to be a sponsor or a collaborator, we would love to be connected with you. So get in touch with us. And in the meantime, be well and live your badass sober life.